You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Place Bureau, we find chaos. Just one of the people like just told to my managers who like had fired me, they were like, yeah, did you see Tevin's video was on Complex? And he was like, man, dog, they sick, man. Yada, yada. And I was just like, I was laughing because it was just like, you know, bro, like, you know, God, God always got a plan. In that moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. The Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one. Mm -hmm. And it talks of the god creating himself through a sexual act with himself. So it's a masturbatory big bang like. like I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors first. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's and I want somebody that's about whole life. I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. So what is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated yes, gospel? Yes, yes, and that is what I live by, because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. Back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy Emmanuel. I'm back in the studio here at KBU in Southeast Portland, Oregon, and uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, you will be hearing more of these as time goes on. So this is going to be what I call the Hugh Knows Project. So H U E. K-N-O-W-S, Hugh knows Hugh as in regards to color spectrum and knows, of course, knowledge. Because we know there's knowledge in our DNA, there's knowledge in our heritage that unfortunately is untapped a lot more now than what it used to be. And so basically I'm going to be taking excerpts and speeches and or like conversations from many black American thought leaders that made a great impact on our culture from really focusing on like the 60s through the 80s. Um, and I will be taking a few people from late 80s, early 90s, specifically Dr. Amos Wilson, because is a man that I admire greatly in his words. Man, powerful and still ring true today. Um, a lot of his words, not all of them, but a lot of them, a lot of his thoughts. But yeah, so I'm going to be um, I'll be highlighting a few folks. You may have heard of these people. Uh, Nikki Giovanni, James Baldwin, Angela Davis. MLK, uh, Francis Crest Welsing, like I said, Amos Wilson, um, Malcolm X, Neely Fuller Jr., who else? Uh, Muhammad Ali, just to name a few. So 
yeah, so what you're going to be hearing is, you know, I'll be playing audio clips of various impactful conversations and speeches. Um, the messages and narratives given by these revolutionary, revolutionary individuals um, are somewhat of an afterthought in American culture today. And not just American culture, but just like world history, like the the words, the sentiments that they had, a lot of it has been kind of whitewashed or just watered down through the educational system. Like for instance, like MLK, MLK has some hard, tough words for a lot of people and everyone didn't rock with MLK. He celebrated and loved in his death, but when he was living, that was not the case. Um, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be diving into certain speeches and, uh, question and answer sessions that they had with, with folks. So yeah, so we'll be, we'll be diving into that. Um, the episode formats will either have like a conversational dialogue tone or just a simple listen and react tone of discussion. So, um, yeah, man, this one will be more of a, a listen and react. I'll be playing um, a, a clip of Malcolm X when he was in he was doing a speech at UC Berkeley. And um, it was a it was a u- unique type of speech because he was explicitly told that he couldn't he couldn't really speak about his faith whatsoever. He couldn't talk about. Um, being a Muslim or the nation of Islam or anything like that. So he was speaking real politically and um, economically and just things of that nature. Um, but it's interesting, you know, as as the questions came from the students, then he eventually had to mention it because they brought it up. Um, so but like I said, I'm, I'm not going to play his actual speech, but the question and answer session was dope. So without further ado, let's get into our ancestor, Brother Malcolm and the questions. In the last issue of Muhammad Speaks, there was an article telling of the elimination of racial discrimination in Cuba, telling of how Afro and Latin Cubans lived in harmony. How does this jive with the devil concept of the white man and the idea that freedom can only be achieved through separation? Now, uh, back in the day, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad would call white people white devils, or more specifically, I don't want to speak for the man, but more specifically, I I would say, you know, he was talking about uh, the white supremacists. Um, but then there is a a, a a point where like you, it's kind of harder to, to distinguish just your, your regular white person from a white supremacist because white supremacy is accessible to all white people. Um, you have to show caution in how you open up or how you interact um, on a on a certain interpersonal level, not business, but interpersonally um, and developing those deep relationships. Uh, that's my that's how I see it. You you all would have to really dig into Elijah Muhammad and, and Malcolm's speeches to really see how they get. But like, that's how that's how I see it. Me personally, I don't want to almost said that as if I was speaking for um, for them. But that's kind of how I see it. Uh, so I'll just rephrase it like that. But uh, so, yeah, let's get into it. In the last issue of Muhammad Speaks, there was an article telling of the elimination of racial discrimination in Cuba, telling of how Afro and Latin Cubans lived in harmony. How does this jive with the devil concept of the white man and the idea that freedom can only be achieved through separation? The Cubans don't refer to themselves either as white people or black people. They refer to themselves as people. You find the American white man is the one who has laid such stress 
on being white or being black. When you become a Muslim, you don't look at a man as being black, brown, red, or yellow. You look upon him as being a man. And this is something that is foreign to the American concept. I don't know anything about Cuba. The article was written by uh, Howard, uh, a UN correspondent who spent time in Cuba along with the uh, son of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad when all of the students went. And they did say that they found a great deal of equality, freedom, and justice among the people of Cuba. Uh, so I think that in that direction, Castro has made a great accomplishment and contribution. But I haven't been there myself. Now, when you try and bring the same thing uh, about between the American white man and the American black man, you're dealing with a man who used to have total possession over the black people in this country as a, as, as a farmer has possession over his cow, his chicken, his horse. That's why they called it chattel slavery. And when people try to compare slavery, oh, slavery happened all over the world. It's, it's one of the oldest forms of human relations is slavery. Yeah. Um, there were prisoners of war. Um, there were people who owed a debt to someone and would do like, a, you know, uh, some like just a, a level of servitude, a, a year or two or three of, all right, I'm going to work for you so I can pay off my debt. And then, you know, their debt is paid and they leave and they go off. But what what happened in the, in the Americas, so-called Americas and the Caribbean was chattel slavery, where they own you as if. They, they own you <laughs> and you never have any right to become free. So that's the difference between the relationship between um, slavery in other parts of the world, whether in Africa or the Middle East or even in Europe versus the transatlantic slavery that happened here. And this has created an attitude among American whites that they themselves find almost impossible to eliminate. And, in, and unless it is eliminated and until it is eliminated, the problem will get worse instead of better. I personally don't think it will ever be eliminated. Mm. Will the will the strife come to an end? It's kind of hard to say. I don't you know, I, I, I definitely don't have a remedy for white supremacy. I don't know anyone that does. So um, at the end of the day, you got to think about what's the incentive for the white supremacists to end white supremacy. What do they gain? Also, what is the incentive for someone who identifies as white or even if they don't personally identify as white, the world, the system, especially in America, identifies you as white. What is that person's incentive for totally destroying and dismantling racism and white supremacy? I don't know. I, if, if you guys know, if you have an idea, please send it my way. I would love to hear it. I would love to build upon it. Um, but at, at this point in time, no one no one has a a cure for it. And so because there is no cure, because there is no remedy in racism and white supremacy is continuing to move basically like it's on autopilot and no one is can, can, can shut it off. Uh, kind of like brother Malcolm. I feel the same way. I don't, I don't see it ending anytime soon or at all, but there's always hope. There's always a possibility. Uh, well, I won't say there's always hope, but you know, there is a possibility that it can happen. And so let's continue to work together 
to find that remedy. Well, how do you how do you intend to gain possession of this land that you want, and how do you intend to get there? So they're speaking of uh, what Elijah Muhammad would say is that you know blacks in America need to separate. We need our own land, and we just need to have our own space. That's the only way we can stop this this enmity between the black man and the white man is that we separate, um, not necessarily segregate, but separate one. Basically we would have a nation within a nation and the young lady is asking, well, how do you guys expect to get this land? That's a good question. Number one, we, 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 we didn't have any trouble getting to America because the white man. Now, now, hold on. That, By that, that is debatable. You know, not every black person that is here in the so-called Americas and the Caribbean islands came here because of the transatlantic slave trade. We were here before Columbus. Our history in this so-called hemisphere did not start in 1619. We've been here. However, up to that time, um, based upon the research and the information that was going around, even someone like Malcolm or anyone would be led to believe that we all got here based upon the transatlantic slave trade. Some of us ha are indigenous. Some of us are a part of the, you know, I, I don't know. I think that the Arawaks and the or Arawaks and the, the Caribs. They were all wiped out when Columbus came, but, you know, they were the copper colored people. But there was also copper colored, black skinned, you know, basically black people because folks had been sailing from Ghana and, and, and just the West Coast of Africa. They've been sailing over here, even from Egypt, man, they, they, they sailed over here. So um, the Europeans were not the first people to find this land. Obviously, there were people already here, but I'll, I'll let Malcolm say it. I didn't mean to jump in on you, Malcolm, my bad. That I mean, we didn't, we weren't pilgrims, we didn't come on the Mayflower, Facts. and we didn't come from Europe, and we didn't come of our own volition. We were brought here in chains at the bottom of a slave ship. A lot of us. And since we didn't pay transportation here, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that the contribution that the black man made in this country, uh, which amounts to 310 years of slave labor, for which we have never been given a dime or a cent, uh, places a burden upon the American white man today for which the government should pay. Hmm. They, and he says that our people should be allowed to go back to our own homeland, that the government itself should supply us with the transportation, and that, when we, that they should supply us with the machinery and the tools necessary that will enable us to dig the soil and develop our own agricultural system and feed ourselves for the next 20 to 25 years until we are in a position to be completely independent and stand on our own feet. And he says that if the government does not want a mass exodus of black people from this country back to our own homeland, since we cannot live in peace together, mixed up on this continent, the alternative to that solution is to divide a separate part of this country into which our people can migrate and in which the government again should supply us with the machinery and the tools necessary to establish our own independent society and our own independent country. And in this way, it will be uh, creating a solution that the black man himself, our people, ourselves, can bring about if we have that uh, capability. And 
For your clarification, because this has been brought up, some people say, well, why should the government do this? If this government can send billions of dollars to communist countries like Poland and Yugoslavia and to neutralist countries in Asia and Africa who have never made any contribution whatsoever to the sum net worth of this economy and country, and at the same time, this government feels that it is too much to set about something real to solve the problem for the slaves who made a greater contribution even than your people did, why the government doesn't even deserve to continue to function as a government. Man, man, man. <sighs> now, this is back in the 60s. There's a lot going on back then, right? Um, now that the dust has settled, um, what do you say? Well, once again, it goes back to my, my thoughts, my 2019 thoughts. It goes back to what's what's the incentive? You know, there there is a, a large contingent of folks that are really um, rising up uh, more or less on Twitter, but they are actually um they are actually really pressing that line and starting a movement. That's the ADOS American descendants of slaves or, or FBA foundational black Americans. Uh, I would like to title myself more. I like that title better for myself, foundational black American. Cause that can, that will um, lend itself to those that came here involuntarily via the transatlantic slave trade, or those that were already here indigenously and, um, or that were just here before Columbus and were just reclassified as black when they started putting labels on people based upon skin color. So, um, once again, what's the incentive? What's the incentive? Because a lot, the ADOS group is pushing hard for reparations and once and part of, part of the movement is don't support, any don't give any political support to someone who is not going to give you anything back tangibly in return. You know, they're, they're saying we can't keep running on hope with no tangibles. There's all these other groups that's getting money set aside. However, the foundational black Americans, like what, what Malcolm is saying, the ones that help build this country to what it is and create the economic base and power of what it is right now. Um, we haven't received anything in return whatsoever. You know, the UN called it called what the United States did a war against a crime against uh, humanity, you know, the way that they treated us. And so there has been no reparations. There has been no 40 acres in a mule. There has been nothing. And so does the government owe us based upon that? I would say yes. But if we don't have any economic national power, it's it's very hard for us to to bark to try to to try to bargain. Like what we don't have anything. We can't we can't give anything. Like what other the only thing that we can do is in my opinion, do similar things to of course, you know, MLK boycott it. But like we would the only way that we can do it is put our money and our resources and pull it together and keep it within our community. Obviously buy back, buy black bank, black do everything black. And so, um, but that's obviously easier said than done. 
And uh, until we do that, until we raise our value and our personal capital, um, it's going to be hard for us to really bargain with the government. Because once again, there's no incentive for the government to give us that. You know, ra racism is big business. They make a lot of money off mistreating people. And there's there's a lot of money to be made off um, the prison system and, and mass incarceration. There's a lot of money to be made. And so. Unfortunately, you know, the United States is just a piece of paper. It's a corporation. It's a business. And so, yeah, we think that the government should do it. And, it, and it's like. We as black people, we appeal to government and issues as if it's a person. Now, granted, it's ran by people, but this is business. This is a piece of paper. You know, the Constitution is only as great as, you know, the amount of belief that people place into it. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's a piece of paper and somebody could rip it up and start some new stuff if they really wanted to, you know. But um, that's all I'll say about that. Let's get on to the next question. You mentioned uh, again just now land set aside for your people, sir. What land is available that's not already possessed by others? When you came to this country, the land was inhabited by the Indians and you didn't have any problem then. <laughs> Simply put. Actually, I have two questions. The first one, I would like to ask you, if you, do, if you believe in Islam just because it gives you dignity as a black man, in, as a black man, as a black man lives in America, or do you believe in Islam as a whole? So if you believe in So what he's saying is, do you only believe in Islam simply because it gives you dignity and it makes you feel better about you about yourself? Or do you really rock with Islam the way that it's been put out like globally, not just crafting it for yourself to make yourself feel better? Islam as a whole, you know that Islam uh, believe in socialism rather than capitalism. This is the first question. Second question, you said that Muhammad taught you that you should have your own land so you can find all what you want or to do what you want in it. Will you please give me one statement either from the Quran or from Muhammad species which says, which you know, asks for this situation? Thank you. If I understood my Muslim brother correctly, I hope he's aware of the fact that my opening statement pointed out that the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle, I think it was, told me that the only way I could come here and speak was to speak on secular matters rather than religious. And for that reason, I pointed out at the outstart that I wasn't going to get on the religion of Islam. But since you as a student, I imagine, brought it up, it does open the door for me to reply, and I thank you for it. That's what I was referring to. Number one, Islam is a word in which means in Arabic complete submission to the will of God, complete obedience to the will of God. And this means, and the, the Jews refer to this God as Jehovah. Uh, they're monotheistic. The Christians refer to him, I think, as Christ, only they're polytheistic, and it's difficult to give one name to their many gods. Mm -mm. Uh-oh. Shots. Shots fired. 
so that the in Islam, since we believe that there is one God, we believe that all of the prophets who came forth on this earth taught the same religion. Abraham was a Muslim. Moses was a Muslim. Jesus. Abraham? Moses? Jesus was a Muslim. Jesus? Not Jesus. Nah. I don't know about that, brother. And as a um, black man in America, we accept the religion of Islam because we recognize it as the true religion of God. Hmm. This is why I'm a Muslim. I am a Muslim because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught me that Islam is God's only religion. Does God have a religion? That's a, that's a whole episode right there. And that it, it does say in the Holy Quran that this religion will overcome all other religions. We believe that we're living in the day and the time and at the hour when God intends to make this religion, Islam, overcome all other religions. This is why we're Muslims. And we want to separate ourselves from America because we believe that when God comes to establish the religion of Islam or the kingdom of Islam or the world of Islam, he can't do so without first destroying all other religions, governments, nations, and worlds that stand in his way. All governments that won't accept one religion and practice the principles of brotherhood, freedom, justice, and equality among all people, regardless of color, regardless of race or anything else involved, we believe that they'll be destroyed today. And we don't think that you can get the American people to accept the religion of Islam. I have no knowledge of socialism. That's uh, something else. <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. So I didn't catch that the first, so, first time. So he was saying he doesn't, they don't think that America will fully accept Islam. And so that's why they need to separate themselves from America because when God comes back, he's going to destroy all of those who don't, who don't line up under his true religion, which is Islam. That's interesting. Sir, you seem to interchange the term white liberal with hypocritical politician. I don't believe this is true. I don't believe that our white liberals are in office. They are, by the way, investigated. Question, I just wondered why you interchange these terms when they're so evidently not interchangeable. Historically, in America, the white liberal has been the one always supposedly who had the solution to the race problem. An example, the leading white liberal in American history was supposed to be Abraham Lincoln. He's the one who has been dangled in front of our people as a god who brought us out of slavery into the promised land of freedom. Uh, Martin Luther King last year was begging President Kennedy to issue another Emancipation Proclamation. If the Emancipation Proclamation of uh, Abraham Lincoln was authentic and produced the result that it was supposed to, and if it had been sincere, it would have gotten results, then Martin Luther King wouldn't have to be begging for another proclamation and emancipation today. Other, another time, the white liberals supposedly fought the Civil War to free the slaves, and our people are still slaves, still begging for freedom. Mm. Some more white liberals came along with the so-called 13th, 14th, 15th, and other amendments to the Constitution, supposedly to solve our problem. The Constitution has been amended, and the problem is still here. Nine white liberals on the Supreme Court... Uh, uh, bench came up with a desegregation decision in 1954 supposedly to desegregate the schools and the schools haven't been desegregated yet. 
Kennedy ran on a platform as a white liberal three years ago and said all he had to do was take out his fountain pen and put his name on some paper and our problem would be solved. And it was three years in office before he found where his fountain pen was and the problem isn't solved yet. Mm, mm, mm. That, <laughs> that makes me think about the reason why I personally don't get too involved in politics when it comes to that two party system. Um, and, and it's funny because even back then it was framed the same way that it's framed now. The Democrats, the liberals are more welcoming and they're not bad and old school and just racist like the Republicans, the conservatives. Um, but anyone that is a non-white person in America that's been here for any extended period of time, or even a short period of time, would know that racism can come from either political party. But because the liberals or the Democrats have that quote-unquote reputation of being progressive, and just that word liberal, it it's almost like they feel like because that's their nickname, then that's who they are, <laughs> you know, but it's like Malcolm knows and anybody knew MLK and any black person in America knows that you could be uh, a Democrat or a Republican and still be racist. And we can still feel that wrath or we can hear the language that's being spoken or we could just look at the, the, the results. I mean, Malcolm right there was just talking about results. What has changed for the benefit, for the greater good of black people in America. It didn't matter if it was a liberal in office or a conservative person in office. The fate of the black American has been disproportionate in every area of activity, whether it's economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, war. We're always at the bottom when it comes to outcomes and it just it's always disproportionate right it's rarely in our favor um and so yeah the whole like the fact that certain people are democrats and they voted for obama and they think that they're not racist like that doesn't mean anything so if you are a non-white person or if you are a white person and you're listening to this podcast um and and you Truly seek to be an ally or an, or an advocate. Um, don't try to don't try to like leverage your political position to a non-white person to to make it seem like you should be more acceptable or like we should automatically think that you're cool. Like that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it really doesn't mean much. Um, it, and it means a lot more typically to you than it does the non-white person, because we're looking at results we're looking at the consequences of actions by these people, not just the label or the Black Lives Matter sign that's in their yard. I'd recognize what's going on. <laughs> well, I'm a second generation American, and uh, my people came over in the bottom of ships, and they had second class citizenship in Europe, and they lived in ghettos and things of this sort, and they got out of them. And how, how come I have, I have certain attitudes towards Negroes that may be prejudiced? Where did I get these attitudes? If they weren't from 
of the Negro people. No, none of my people ever owned slaves or anything of this sort. How do I get my prejudices? That's a good question. If you didn't steal the property, you can be held responsible today for being in possession of stolen goods. The, 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 the book says that the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the heads of the children even into the seventh generation. Mm. And although there are many whites who came here from Europe uh, after 1865, they fit right into the whole overhaul pattern of exploitation of modern slavery mm. that still exists in this country today. Because it's only a modern form of slavery that our people experience today. And they white liberals, again, encourage us to join groups that they've set up that, will, that they call the National, Advances, National Association for the Advancement of Some Colored People from Ancient Slavery to Modern Slavery. Now, if I may add, your mention of white immigrants just coming here proves the uh, inability of Negroes to solve this problem by the present course or the past course that they've been taking. Well, it's true. Italians, French, Spanish, and others came here as immigrants, uneducated, poverty-stricken. And their parents were able to open up stores, little stores, they lived in the back, sent their children to school. Their children studied business and came back and expanded the businesses. And most businesses in the white community today are called so-and-so brothers, so-and-so and son, and so forth. This is how you establish what you call the American economy, somewhat uh, speaking on the run. Negroes have been here free since 1865, so-called. <laughs> it's so funny to hear. <laughs> hear folks just say Negroes so freely. I mean, that's that's what we said back then, but... That just it sounds so funny to me, but carry on, Malcolm. Have a purchasing power of $20 billion per year. Have more education than any group, any minority group on this earth. Mm. You can't go in the Negro community anywhere in the Bay Area and find five businesses owned by Negroes, so-and-so and son, or so-and-so brothers. Mm. The, the mistake that we made differs from the uh, mistake you didn't make. Your parents solve your problems economically, of their own volition, with their own ingenuity. Our leaders have done nothing to teach us how to go in business. They've done nothing to teach us how to elevate the level of our schools. They've done nothing to teach us how to keep up the standard of our community. It is not the masses of black people who are at fault for this. It's this Negro puppet that the white liberal has set over the Negro community to act as our leader and act as our spokesman who has failed to show us how to solve our own problems so we remain crippled and expect to follow the uh, advice of this white liberal who does nothing but continue to exploit us instead of trying to help us solve the problem. Hope I didn't answer you too long. Now, that's an interesting response that he had for that um, because he gave, he gave credit to, you know, the immigrant parents that built businesses and passed them down to their children. Then he talked about what we didn't do. That's something that we didn't do in the black community. So that's our fault. Well, partly. I mean, there's a lot of there there are things that we did. I mean, there's there's so many massacres and so many uprisings and a lot of terrorist activity that took place to tear down um great thriving economic, you know, situations for black people. Of course, Tulsa, Oklahoma comes to mind, Black Wall Street over there. Uh, there was a lot of oil money and that that brought in a lot of business and so on and so forth. We can get into that later. But um, there, he he didn't. It's funny. He didn't stay consistent. And I hate I mean, it almost sounds like I'm nitpicking my ancestor. But it's but it's you know, we're just 
we're, we're reading or we're, we're listening and reacting. No judgment whatsoever because Malcolm X is one of the greatest men to ever live, in my opinion. Uh, one of the smartest, brightest, most eloquent, um, intellectually honest individuals that had, had the utmost intellectual integrity, um, in my opinion. But um, he did not he did not continue to um, hold the black or the <laughs> Negro parents accountable. He immediately blame shifted towards quote unquote Negro puppet leaders who were getting their instruction from um, liberal politicians in, in the way of how to lead us and how to, what, you know, whatever the case might be. And so that's one thing that we cannot do going into 2020 and really coming up against 2053, where it's projected that the, the net worth, the, the median net worth of black families will be at zero. Uh, and it's already our median net worth is only like 1700 right now per family. So um, because that's happening, we we can no longer put the blame on the government. Not to say that the government doesn't play a role. We got to press that line. But we have to take extreme accountability and extreme responsibility to be about our business and teach our children entrepreneurship and business principles and discipline so that we can have something to pass down. Uh, you can't pass down a job. You can't pass down employment. Um, but like he was saying, what the what the immigrant families did, they started businesses such and such and sons whatever the, whatever the case might be and they passed it down and so you have that equity you have that business you have that cash flow the revenue the model the the foundation has been laid and then your children step into it and they continue continue to operate and continue to bring in that money and continue to build up their community and so um time time's up time's up for that time's up for um continuing to point the figure, finger at these politicians that somebody somebody is in their pocket and that therefore <laughs> they're a puppet. You know, we we can't fall for that and we can't blame them. If we didn't learn in the 60s, if, if we're not learning from the past then we're not going to correct our future and the future is not looking good. We got we got to be honest, man. Transhumanism is on its way. Artificial intelligence is going to totally. <laughs> totally just dismantle a lot of industries um, that would use human labor. It, are, it already is, and it's going to continue to do so. And so as AI rises and becomes more normal, that means human, the value of human life will go down and the ability to be able to make money and work in certain industries will disappear. And so, we got to start now. We can't wait. We can't blame. We can't wait for reparations. We push that line, but we also have to start making it happen because the white supremacist is not going to make it happen for us. We have time for only one more question, I'm afraid, and I'd recognize this gentleman. I'd like to ask Mr. X simply, why cannot a Negro infiltrate the political machine 
and use power politics to his own end. Now, that's what we thought Obama was going to do. We thought he was going to save us. Let's 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 be honest. When I know I did, I was like, man, we got a black president. Yo, we good. Like he's about to change everything. Like all these struggling and all this, you know, oppression and all these disproportionate outcomes, you know, all this police brutality, you know what I mean? Like ain't going to be no need for no NWAs or it, it, it's you know, it's not all that stuff is going to go away. I, I might have been too naive. I was in my early 20s. I just thought that, you know, a black man is at, at the top of United States office. Everything was going to change because he's there because he has the power. You know, not necessarily the case. If he studied the science of politics, he probably would. Most Negroes don't. They become involved politically. Uh, from an emotional point of view rather than a scientific point of view. You show me a Negro politician, and I'll show you one who's controlled by the white political machine. Mm. And if you show me one who isn't controlled by the white political machine, I'll show you one whom the white political machine has labeled as a racist, mm. an extremist. Mm. Uh, and Adam Powell is one of the best examples of it. And he Ain't that a fact, though? Like, if, you, if you're not in the game and playing their game, then they're going to demonize you, call you an extremist. And that's and that's happening right now. They've, you know, COINTELPRO did that back in the day and they eliminated all of our leaders, whether by, you know, assassinating them or imprisoning them. Um, but that's another episode, a whole nother topic. If y'all don't know, Google COINTELPRO and learn about what J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI did to conspire against all the black leaders back in the 60s and 70s. Anyone that they endorse uh, who will do what they want him to do, he's all right. But when you become politically independent in this country, the whites immediately label you as a racist. The mm. reason for this is uh, the only way you can become politically independent of the white political machine is to have the support of the black masses. The only way you can get the support of the black masses is to say how they think and how they feel. And when you begin to speak to the black masses how they feel and think, then the whites call you a racist because you have to talk in the context of the intense degree of dissatisfaction that exists in the Negro community. Whites don't want to hear this. They want to be told that the problem is being solved. You're not solving the problem for anybody but a few hand-picked Uncle Tom Negroes who benefit from your token integration. And as long as you deal with them, you're going to be uh, adding more powder to a keg that's inside your house that can blow you higher if it explodes than a million megaton bombs. But when you get out here and find how the masses of black people really feel, you're too intelligent to act as you act. If you know how they really feel. And the only black man who will tell you exactly how a black man feels is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. The rest of them are going to talk to you out the corner of their mouth. Try and make friends with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think you'll all join me in thanking Minister Malcolm for this very frank, very full, and very eloquent Appreciate you, brother. expression of the black Muslim point of view. The meeting is adjourned. Man, man, man. What y'all think? What y'all think of what Malcolm had to say, man? I've obviously expressed my thoughts, but I would really love you all to keep this conversation going. Weigh in. Um, hit me up on Instagram at Socks and Sandals Podcast or on Twitter at SXSNDLS or just search Socks and Sandals Podcast. Uh, 
or my name, Emmanuel Williams. Either or, either or, and uh, it'll show up. And um, yeah, let's continue this conversation. I would love to know what you guys think about this. Um, also, if you are on iTunes, if you have not left a comment, please do so. Um, that visibility goes a long way. It's 2019. Everybody has a podcast now. <laughs> and so it really helps when people are when they when they look up my podcast or anyone's podcast. It really helps to see the ratings. I don't care what the rating is. Honestly, I have to ask for five stars. Just rate it. Just ratings help and comments. Just the sheer number of comments, whether good or bad, it helps. If you're listening and you're still here 42 minutes in, I would hope. I would think that you enjoy what you heard, um, but it's all good. I, I'll take hate speech. I'll take good, great speech. As long as there's some, some, some speech and some comments, man, that goes a long way. So, and I, I really just want to hear your, your feedback. I want to know what you guys think, uh, what you appreciate, uh, what you want me to continue to do. Uh, some things, some, maybe some ideas um, that I haven't thought of. And you have like some great ideas for future content, people I should talk to. Um, people I should uh, play excerpts of things of that nature hit me up man so on iTunes rate with however many stars five stars preferably but however many stars leave a comment I appreciate the love and support your feedback is my oxygen so once again it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society culture history and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our world views grace and peace and I hope you were inspired, enlightened, empowered in some sort of way by listening to the words of our great ancestor, Malcolm X. Holla at y'all next week.